Welcome to another episode of Unpacking Bexley, a podcast focused on exploring and analyzing the many different aspects of life and culture in the city of Bexley. We do this through interviews, local community members, historians, and other experts as well, covering a wide range of topics that are important to people here in Bexley. For the next few episodes, we're breaking from our conventional format and doing shorter episodes addressing people who are stepping into positions of leadership or offering themselves for positions of leadership to help and direct where our city is going and where our schools are going. Specifically, we're talking with candidates for city council and candidates for the Board of Education for the city schools. That being said, I am Spencer Cahoon, your friendly neighborhood Bexley DEI member, and I like to think all-around good guy. Joining me today, we have... Stacy Grossman, also with Bexley DEI and Bexley Community Member. Kerouac Smith, Bexley Community Member and friend to the DEI board. Lisa Kelly, I'm a Bexley Community Member and I'm also part of the Bexley Minority Parent Alliance and part of a new grassroots group that formed last year called Eliminating Racism in Bexley Schools. And I am Mike Carter. I am a candidate for the school board, a community member and a wonderful guy. That's what we hear. And um, we're hoping to share a little bit more about who you are with the community so we all can get to know you better. So you're running for the Board of Education. Congratulations. And recently that run has become a little less contentious than it seemed like it was going to be at the beginning. Initially, we had three candidates. One candidate withdrew. There are two positions. There are two candidates. That's a nice fit. And that means we don't have to worry about differentiating people who are running for that. And we can spend our time instead focusing on what you see as the important issues for our schools and, and where you'd like to help guide things over the next term. Before we jump into the issues, as much as I love that, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role in the community and what made you decide to put yourself out for this position of leadership. Okay, well, I've been in Bexley for 20 plus years. Uh, we have raised, we're, we're a merged family, actually, and uh, but three of our children have gone through the, you know, from kindergarten all the way through. Now they are now alumni of Bexley High School. And we're very, very nice. Happy with their progress and their success as a result. But I was also instrumental in uh, establishing uh, the tackle football for the youth. And I did a lot of coaching, both volunteer and paid positions. And so I have been in touch with what was going on from the perspective of the children uh, for a long time, for like the last 20 years, basically. I've watched them grow from little boys that I coached all the way through, <laughs> you know, to young men now that are taller than me and, you know, meet me and tap me on the head. But, gotcha. um, yeah, so from that we learned a lot as our kids went through the schools. I also grew up in a similar not as a fluent region, but demographically similar type of community where the schools that I attended had a small percentage of minority representation. They were majority white kids. And I had, uh, you know, I enjoyed them. And, you know, they were my childhood friends and I still interact with people from my past and such. But, um, Along the way, a lot of the things that I experienced, I realized people were just not aware at times of how it could have possibly affected 
a child that was alone and isolated hmm. in that type of situation. And even after talking with my children and going through the different administrations that were here, Harley Williams was instrumental in bringing a lot of attention to the fact that minority children in Bexley were not participating and all of the things that were available in the school that hmm. basically they spent most of their time in athletics and they weren't exploring all of the other avenues and possibilities that could enhance both their experience, their knowledge, and their life. And so when he brought all of the parents together, we discovered that there were a lot of little small things that I was dealing with and that our children were dealing with, we were completely oblivious to. And Mm. as a result, I felt like as a community member that has spent so much time here and have so much exposure to what the children have been dealing with, I thought that I should try to become a focal point to present a perspective that may not be considered as we evolve and move towards improving our community and such. I just wanted to make sure that, because a lot of the microaggressions, as they call them, people are completely oblivious to. Hmm. They're unintentional things. You know, they're just knee-jerk reactions. They're just what you've been exposed to. And so I thought that my role would be to offer a different perspective as we moved and made changes and attempted to change curriculum or whatever it was Hmm. to make sure that they understood at least the possibility that this is needs to be considered. Gotcha. Well, it sounds like that different perspective will be a valuable addition to the Board of Education. So tell us, coming from that perspective and those many years of experience with multiple kids having gone through the Bexley school system, what are a few things that you identify as things you'd really like to work on when you see yourself in that role or things you'd really like to assist with? Because obviously it's team effort. Absolutely. Well... On the heels of probably our most traumatic events that happened recently, I'd say the last year or so, I think that communication with the community and when emotional things happen and when people are drawn to, they're caught up in their emotions and they just want to see action. They want to see this resolved. They want that guy fired. They want that kid punished. They want, you know, they want answers. What happened to that child? They don't realize that they are like, and I'm a healthcare provider by my W-2 job is healthcare. Mm -hmm. And we have HIPAA rules that protect your information, his information, everyone's information. You can't just speak openly about people's conditions. The school board, I found out, is held under something very similar to that. It's not called HIPAA, but... They have processes and things of that sort that they have to deal with, as well as unions and things. Mm. And I think that if the community was made aware of that, it's easier for people to be patient. When they're educated on what has to take place in order for us to move at all, then they can, you know, regardless of how much is hurting and how much they want, they realize then that there is a process. And it has to unfold before we get to the end result. 
So don't leave here thinking we're just doing what we did in the past or we're just kicking the can down the street until the dust settles. That's not what's happening. We're going through due process and we'll get to, you know, hopefully a, a result that everyone will be happy with. I really like that description. As a criminal defense attorney in my day job, due process kind of looms large in my world. I think everyone can appreciate that. Working with the schools, you're working with both kids, and you don't want juveniles' lives to be ruined by choices they've made. Uh, and at the same point, we have teachers who are valued members of our community, and we want to make sure that, just like the kids, their lives are not being ruined before we necessarily know what's happened and who's done what and who should bear responsibility. As long as at some point in the process, those decisions are made and then things can be communicated. You mentioned that you have kids that have graduated from Bexley. Do you have any current children in Bexley? And if so, what has their experience been like being a person of color in our, in our schools? I do currently have a fifth grader in Maryland, and she's been here, of course, since kindergarten. She's doing really well, and um, her experiences have been positive from what she's shared with us but you know as things unfold just like I said with our older children you really don't make noise or cry out if you don't feel like it's significant enough Hmm. children have a tendency like again I'm drawing this from my own experiences there were times where things happened to me and I know that that was like, not right. It didn't feel right. But was it significant enough to trouble my, my parents with? Eh, not really. You know, I'm, I'm a wrestler. I'm a football player. I'm, I can handle this. And so unless you sit down and have those conversations with your child, you really don't know. We had an incident, however. There was a little boy that would hit them out of the blue. Like, the girls would be playing together because it's... And we're trying to explain to her how the different genders deal with, I think you're attractive. I don't know why I think you're attractive, (laughs) but I'm going to pull your hair. Or, you know, every time you say something, I'm going to possibly go, eh, because you get a reaction. And so I brought, we told her, go to the teacher. And she did that. And then her friends went to the teacher. And so it persisted. And we met at parent-teacher conference and I brought it up to her teacher and her teacher said oh you're talking about so-and-so and And to me that was a flag you're aware that this has been going on you even named the child but no one has handled it as a matter of fact she congratulated my daughter on how they had been handling it Mm. that's a flag for me Yeah. yeah That's a, that's a skill you pick up, but one that you shouldn't have to use, right? Right. You mentioned earlier, well, Spencer mentioned that uh, without it being a competitive race, there's two candidates, two seats. You don't have to spend all your time campaigning. You, you get to spend your time thinking, planning what you're actually going to do, getting ready for the job. What does that look like? What, what are you doing to, to prepare for it? Meeting regularly um, with uh, board members and previous board members, just getting a feel for what type of time will be required. 
what the learning process was like for them. Uh, and most of them, including Dr. Fine, uh, admitted to me that initially it's going to be a little overwhelming. So I have been interacting with them as much as possible. Victoria and I are going to meet over coffee soon and just sit and talk for a while so I can pick her brain and she can bounce things off of me and give me uh, hopefully some helpful Victoria, for anyone who doesn't know school board as well, what's what's her role? She's the vice president. What you were talking about before really uh, speaks to me. My best friend is a father to uh, mixed-race children who have all gone through Bexley. And during the event that you alluded to earlier last year, I asked him about it, about how his kids reacted. And he gave me very much the same response that his kids don't don't really tell him what they go through unless he pries it out of them. And they did have thoughts about the incident and he had to really get them to open up about it. And it, it opened my eyes to what a family like his and yours is going through here. I, I wonder what we can do to keep the momentum going when so much of the country around us seems to be going in reverse. And we seem to have a good thing going here where we're able to keep moving forward. Well, to me, that's the biggest issue is that, and even with the little groups and and families that come together from time to time and we have conversations around these topics. I make sure to mention to people that this is a a problem that exists in our country. So don't be disappointed or misled to think that we can solve it and that it will go away instantaneously. That's it's just simply not going to happen like that. It wasn't developed that way that quickly. It will not be resolved that quickly. But it's about the effort. And most importantly, it's about not staying mum. Whatever problems there are. Silence is complicity. Even if you do not stand up for your friend on the bus when someone calls his name or calls him out of his name, when the bully turns on him, If you don't stand and confront the bully, if you're just happy that it's not your turn, is that, does that prevent that occurrence from occurring again? No, we just wait for the next ride and the bully picks someone else out until he, until one of the girls typically, (laughs) I'm sorry to say, I didn't mean to laugh. One of the girls stands up typically and says, that's enough. So one thing that what you're saying makes me think of is I was on a subcommittee for the strategic plan that was released at the end of last school year, I think is when it was released. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that my subcommittee talked about at length was how do we create allyship amongst our students so that they understand when a black child's being called the N-word by somebody, which does happen in our schools, and we know that, that the other white kids need to say, no, not cool. Don't do it. 
How do we create allyship for our LGBTQIA plus kids who are also marginalized in Bexley? How do we create allyship for our students that have IEPs and might have disabilities? And so one of the things that we suggested go in the strategic plan was explicit instruction in allyship and how to support peers starting in kindergarten. What is your thoughts on that type of education for our students like overall? Well, I think it would be beneficial. Um, It's going to be a tough sale because my impression of what's been taking place around the country is people don't want to feel uncomfortable. For sure. And so what makes it worse is now you're making a child uncomfortable and people struggle with that thought because their children come home and they're like, you have to have difficult conversations. I'd imagine I would support that type of thing, but it's a hard sell. Let me take a slight twist on the the question you just posed right there. So you were talking about in terms of how do we educate our students to be allies. I know during that same period, one of the things I heard was the responses from different faculty were extremely different because they were all at different places in their own education and their own learning process about how to deal with this kind of a situation. Mm. So is faculty education uh, one of the tools in that toolbox for dealing with incidents as they come up and helping our children to feel supported? It should very well be how we arm them to help them help our children evolve. There's regular and continuous re-education in healthcare for the appreciation and respect. Some would say tolerance, but I don't like to use tolerance. You know what I mean? Because it's not really... It doesn't seem like accepting. It doesn't seem like mm. it doesn't seem like you're equating it to your feelings. It's right. It's tolerance like it is it. more like yes. <laughs> tolerance is more like a, a parent looking down at a child. I'm going to mm. tolerate this for a little while, you know. But so we're constantly going through training to help us deal with the different cultures and the demands that they have. Like some people can get blood infusions and some cannot and all these different things. And I think we're doing a disservice to our teachers. If we do not mandate that training, if we do not submerge them in something to give them the ability to problem solve and help the children, they're just like us. You know, we still all have implicit bias. We all have all these things that are built into us as a result of being here. So they need help. And it can't rest solely on their shoulders. I'd like to build on that because I think there's a piece of the puzzle that seems to be missing from the conversation. And that's what happens at home. You know, the values that children are taught at home. Essentially, children need a safe space in order to feel permission to be able to advocate for themselves. The community relies very heavily on the schools to implement that safe space. But at the same time, it also needs to be done at home. And at home, we need to learn how what we say affects the way that our children interact when they're in the school environment. 
So what can we all do in partnership and collaboration to create that safe space for our children to be able to have permission and security to voice those concerns? Okay. That is the million dollar question, actually, because in my opinion, that is where it's going to start. The difficult conversations have to be had. And who wants to have them if you're not affected by it? If your child is not directly affected by it or hurt, who wants to have the difficult conversation? There's so much going on in life in day to day. I'm not excusing it. I'm simply looking at it from that perspective. It's tough. I tell my friends all the time that slavery ended and civil rights and things of that sort progressed because there were white people who saw and empathized and stuck their neck out and took beatings and lost jobs and were ostracized and their children were bullied. And so without that, we're still there. Okay. To your question, we entertained possibly having seminars and bringing guest speakers and professionals in to have workshops and things of that sort that people could come and sit and learn different things and hear perspectives and share stories and things of that sort. But it's, it's a voluntary basis and you have to be willing to, to expose yourself to that pain, to listen to these stories over and over about your forefathers or your, you know, or it, it maybe or honestly, just kids walking down the hall. Or kids just walking down the hall. Mm-hmm. But you have to be willing to expose yourself to that and then go home and be uncomfortable in your home while you're talking and dealing with your children. Mm-hmm. And, and trying to talk them through how they're feeling when you're breaking this down to them. It is such a heavy ask. If you can go without having to do it, mm-hmm. that's what people are electing to do. What, sure. what do we do in society? We do the very least to get by in everything. Path of least resistance. In everything. You've touched on one of the very difficult things with what our schools can do and what our Board of Education can do. Because we've talked about of how you impact students and how you impact staff. But this is addressing how you impact families, which is the other foot on the stool of what's happening with the schools. And that is perhaps the most difficult area to affect because a lot of parents are used to just dropping their kids off at school. They get their education, they pick their kids up, they go on with their life. And if that's the way we approach it, then family's going to be what it is. It's not easily influenced by the schools. So I think what you're saying there with having community workshops, bringing in speakers, trying to provide education for people who are open to that. That's one approach to help educate our community and promote allyship and greater understanding. And we have to start somewhere. So I I applaud that approach as a good first step.
And it looks like we are running low on time because we've had such an interesting conversation. We just couldn't cut it off. So I would like to take a minute to thank everyone who has joined us today. Uh, myself, Spencer Cahoon, Lisa Carter-Kelly. We have Kerouac Smith. We have Stacy Grossman and our special guest, Bexley Board of Education, currently candidate, but soon to be member, Mike Carter. And as well as our Bexley DEI faithful and community members listening, thank you so much. Special thanks to the Bexley Public Library for hosting our podcast recording. And remember, you can listen to us anywhere you get your fine podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, wherever you like, we're around. And the name of the podcast is Kerouac. Unpacking Bexley.